When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with your host, myself, Dan Dickow, for SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Today's guest, somebody that I had issues with playing against during my career in the NBA, a very underrated guard, especially on the defensive end. An LA native, one of the best point guards to come out of Syracuse, nine seasons in the NBA, now one of the up and coming assistant coaches in all of college basketball. Look for him to be a head coach in the very near future, Jason Hart. Jason, thanks for joining us from LA. How is life as a part of the Trojan basketball staff working through all the uncertainties right now? Man, right now, first of all, thank you for having me, Dan. But uh, it's tough, though, in, in terms of COVID, but we have to respect um, what's going on. Um, I think our, our school is showing a lot of respect for the, for the virus, and um, our players are doing the best they can in terms of uh, what they're allowed to do. And right now, our players are just allowed to lift weights and uh, use the outside turf. So that's, that's about it. And go to school online. It's, no, it's nothing uh, in, uh, in person. You know, there's a lot of unequal playing fields right now in college athletics because of where you might live with government mandates, uh, maybe league mandates. Um, and so for you as a coach, it might be a, an opportunity to kind of reset your philosophy and what you and, and the staff at USC want to build uh, once you get to practice. How do you guys as a staff kind of work on those things right now when you can't be in a gym every single day with your guys? Well, I mean, we do our regular uh, academic Zooms each week or we may Zoom with a recruit. But for the most part, uh, we've been kind of um, 
everybody's just kind of been with their own personal family. I think this is time for college coaches, um, particularly men's basketball, to kind of rebound with their own family, their own kids, and kind of get back to uh, being uh, in your own home. Now, as far as our players, we don't have too much direct physical contact with them because um, they get tested every week. We're not allowed. We're not. We haven't started our actual testing every week. Um, so we haven't really got physical contact with them. And then as far as the basketball point in terms of developing and getting better, we talk about it, but the reality is we don't know when we're going to start back. So it's kind of like just letting everybody stay decompressed right now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's got to be a bit frustrating for, for a college coaching staff uh, like the one that you're on to try to plan the season out, especially with the Pac-12 who has said – you know, we're going to hold off all athletic activities until January 1st, yet there's, you know, a lot of talk right now about college basketball creating mini bubbles to be able to allow teams to um, get some games in early uh, and, and get creative. It's something that football, unfortunately, didn't have the opportunity. They didn't have enough time to really put together a plan. Without getting too much into the political side of things, do you hope that the bubble situation works and that the Pac-12 can uh, find a workaround to allow teams like yourself, the Cal, Stanford, Arizona, some of the better teams on the West Coast to be able to join in to some of these er talked about early season tournaments? I mean, I would love for the kids to get the opportunity to play, especially if it's a bubble. I mean, the NBA and the TBT tournament that, you know, with the testing every day, that's the only way it can work. I mean, but for me, man, testing once a week and then coming back Monday and allowing us to fly and get on a plane, the airport and all that, that, that won't work. But as far as the political side, I, I'm for these kids playing. Just put a safety measure in place so when we go home to our families as husbands and as men who have significant others, we're protected and we can protect our parents. My mom and dad are, are older, so I have to protect them as well. I, I definitely hope that um, college basketball can get up and running. I know there's lots of different uh, ideas that are being thrown out there, as I discussed, because for both you and I, it, it's a sport that we love, and we're involved yeah. in it in different ways. Yep. You are in your hometown. You're yeah. literally in your, in your backyard as an assistant coach at USC. You spent a year as a, as a, or a little bit of time as a coach at Pepperdine under Marty Wilson. You spent a year as a high school coach, and now you're – on us on the staff of, of one of the best teams on the on the west coast how much pride do you have being from that area and being a part of that coaching staff in your backyard man i have a lot of pride you know i'm from south central los angeles i did not go to usc out of high school i went to syracuse but usc was always a place where i where i grew up in terms of using their swimming pool when i was young using their gyms to play pickup so it, it's part of my community it's part of where i grew up at and it's even more uh, prideful to try to turn a program around that's always been good in pockets. What we're trying to do is trying to bring some consistency. And um, I think we, we've been doing a good job in terms of recruiting South, uh, South Los Angeles uh, talent, Southern California as well. And um, just trying to put kids in a position where they can succeed off the court when they're done playing basketball for the Trojans. Yeah, I'd agree with that, that USC has been good in pockets. They've made a run, but they haven't been able to sustain it. You guys have done a nice job of being pretty consistent with the results year in and year out. And it's hard to believe that it's now year eight yeah. for, for you and, and Andy Enfield's staff. We talked before uh, we began to record this conversation. You know, 
it felt like maybe year four or five and, and come to find out it's year eight. So uh, there's a lot of consistency that is being built. And I think that's uh, needs to be a pillar of a good program that the athletic department and the president believes in what the head coach and their staff is doing. So obviously you guys are doing that. The fact that you're looking to keep the best talent in, uh, in Southern California is evident. I had a chance to watch Evan Mobley this past year in the fall, and I came away really impressed. I, I thought he was very talented on both ends of the floor. If you guys get a chance to play this season, um, what are going to be some of the things that people are going to be surprised about watching USC and also Evan Mobley? Well, they'll be surprised about, obviously, uh, Evan's a, a, a top-level talent. Um, he's he's even better in person off the court. But what we're going to see is a, a continuation of a, our team and the progression of Andy Enfield. Last year, we was ranked number one defensively in the Pac-12. So he's known for offense. But last year, we won majority of our games on defense. And then, obviously, our point guard, Ethan Anderson, who was a freshman. Um, this year, he'll be a sophomore. So he's going to take on more of a leadership role. And it, I think his game will expand. And then Isaiah Mobley. Um, you know, he played uh, in between Nick Kostovic and, and Onyeka Ogonku last year. So looking for him to emerge and just for us to continue to build on what we started. Um, last year, we had a lot of momentum. Then obviously COVID hit. I think we would have been one of the teams locked for the NCAA tournament. So I guess we kind of like we got to start it all over again and, and, and bring it back. And um, that's the challenge that every program looks forward to. But specifically ours, we, we, we still have unfinished business. Well, you definitely have some good pieces uh, in, in covering college basketball as an analyst. Um, you know, UCLA might get more of, of the national attention, but I think over the last few years, you guys have been much more consistent. And, and I really like the way that, that your program is being built, as we discussed. With that, you, as part of the staff now for eight years, you obviously work really closely with Andy Enfield. You evaluate talent, you recruit talent, you develop talent. What is it that when you're out evaluating players and, and you start making the decision, hey, we're going to recruit this guy, what are some of the things that, and I know you can't talk about specific players, but what are the attributes and what are the characteristics that you as a coach look for that makes you say, hey, I want him a part of our program? Well, for me, man, I was a bit of an underdog until my senior year in high school. So being here in L.A., um, I, me personally, I try to recruit like underdog kids who in two years will be that guy. I think a lot of times in recruiting, Dan, you would know this, we get caught up in saying who's a low major, high major, and all that type of stuff. Well, my mindset has changed on that because all the high major are pilfering the kids from the low majors after two years. After they go there and average 14 to 15, we say, okay, transfer to us. So what I try to do, yeah, that's reality. That's exactly what's going on. So for me, man, I try to go out and see who has potential to, to be that player as a junior. Obviously, we, won't, we don't get the level of talent of Duke or Kentucky with the one and dones. So our freshmen can be a little bit uh, behind um, because we, we normally going to have a junior and senior in, in head, ahead of them. So we just try to look for some for, for potential guys, high character guys, and kids who have a chip on their shoulders. I think they've served us well at SC. Yeah, I, I would agree that the the first part of that comment you talked about, you and I were kind of underdogs. Yes, you, you wouldn't have looked at me junior year, even senior year in high school, and pegged me as a pro. And right. hearing you say that about yourself, um, I think it, it goes a lot to to 
playing the long game, understanding right. your value on the court to a team, understanding where your strengths lie, your weaknesses lie, and maximizing your strengths and minimizing your weaknesses. When you, with your NBA experience, talk to players on your current roster, um, what do you try to really emphasize with them? Because, quite frankly, every player in college basketball has a goal and a dream to get to the NBA. And right. you, I'm sure, want those players, but you also have to be realistic with them. What is your approach in talking to players uh, about player development? Well, for me, it's, it's obviously we want to get better each and every day. And it's not to deter their dreams. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to encourage the NBA, because if that's what you want, that's going to make you a better basketball player because you're going to work towards that. But what I, one thing I try to emphasize with our guys is show what you do really well. And we're going to hide some of the things we're not good at. Don't, don't use that vice versa. And that's what I try to emphasize. I don't want to be that coach like C and told you. I want to be an encourager. So one thing I emphasize to our guys is show the world what you're really good at. And then me and you can get into the gym every day and work on what we're not good at. And that's what I emphasize to our guys. Because during, when the lights is on, you want to look good and play to your strengths. Yeah. What I think a lot of young players don't understand is, if they have the opportunity to get to the NBA, they're not going to be a James Harden one who has the ball in their hand for 16 seconds of the shot clock. You right. have to find and pick and choose your spots where your skills can impact the game positively for your team. And the fact that you've got that approach and trying to help kids, uh, I really appreciate and admire about coaches like yourself. Appreciate so you've spent time – as an assistant at USC, a little bit of time as an assistant at Pepperdine. You were head coach in, in the high school area, in the high, at the high school level in, area, in L.A. for a bit. In talking to you in the past when I've been at shoot-arounds, you do have aspirations to be a head coach. Loyola Marymount, personally, I think would have been a great spot uh, if they would have given you that opportunity because of your background. When you, as an assistant coach, see these opportunities uh, and openings for a head coach, how do you prepare yourself and how do you know that you're ready as, as an assistant? Because, you know, a lot of assistant coaches are going to pass until they hundred percent feel ready. What's your philosophy on, on preparing for that next chance? Well, I mean, obviously you could prepare in, in terms of the relationships you build prior to the job opening. And then obviously studying your boss or your former current bosses, and just try to get as many notes as you can. But guess what? When you got drafted, you wasn't ready, and I wasn't ready for Stephon Marbury or Allen Iverson. So it's the same with becoming the head coach. You could prepare as much, but once you get the experience of being a head coach, then you're going to get better. If you look at Krzyzewski's first two years at Duke, man, his, his record wasn't good. Now, since he surpassed that, we don't say he wasn't ready. So I think you're ready when you get the job and learning, learning on the job. And then when I do see it, a job open West Coast-wise, because I have a lot of West Coast ties. I just try to figure out as many as people who's close to the person hiring and try to get in that way. And then just try to hope for the best. You just never know, because it's hard to become a Division One head coach. But you just got to, uh, you know, stay in it and, and stay aggressive. And when you get that opportunity, you got to be ready. Well, having seen you at shoot-around settings, having seen you uh, talking with guys during the game, I can only imagine that once you get your shot, uh, you're going to make the most of it and you're, you're going to be a very good head coach. But also the first part of that last comment you made, like you said you can't prepare to get ready to guard Allen Iverson or Stephon Marbury. 
people don't understand how good those guys were. I mean, I had to scratch and claw every single day in practice to try to get ready. Those were some some uh, some good memories, but also some bad memories because I couldn't guard either one of those guys like you could. Man, listen, even me trying, I'm going to give you the effort, but them dudes are another level, and I equate that to becoming a head coach. You can't prepare for something you don't know about, so your experience just have to be on the fly, and then you're going to get better, obviously, with time, but nobody can say they're just ready to be a head coach. I mean, you can study everything, but you still have to sit in that seat. Yeah. Preparing to be a head coach, though, you've, you've got to be a sponge. You've got to learn from from – many different environments, many different coaches that you've either played for or worked with, you know, and looking at your NBA career as well as your college career, because you played under Jim Beheim at Syracuse, right. who's a legend. Mm -hmm. um, but you also in the NBA played for some really good coaches. I believe Greg Popovich, yeah. Larry Brown, if I'm not mistaken, uh, George Carl. Who would be your coaching mentors and what are some of the nuggets that you took away from them? Well, for, for one, man, I got to give it up for my college coach, Jim Beheim. One thing I've learned now, being in my own personal journey in basketball, is he kept everything simple. We had uh, two defenses. We would play man and zone, and we had about three plays. And a lot of times now, basketball has changed so much that we run this play, that play, this play, that play. Well, he won a 1,000 games by keeping it simple. So when I become head coach, I'm going to keep it very simple and have the players react as opposed to them thinking. Some of my NBA mentor head coaches was, was Bernie Bickerstaff. I played for Charlotte. He was more of a mentor, father-ship um, type coach. Um, Jerry Sloan, I got a chance to play for him for a year. He, was, he, he gave you that level of respect. And then George Carl, obviously, man, he knew how to coach egos. And I think in college, the, the egos are very high due to social media. Um, players obviously sometimes think they're better than what they are, which is fine. But with the reality of social media, you have to be able to control and contain egos. And I just think George is, was very good at uh, dealing with, obviously, Gary Payton, a, a, a Mello, a Kenya Martin. He was really good at handling those egos. And, and I took that from him as well. <laughs> you mentioned George Carl and managing oh, yeah. uh, egos. I had a chance to be teammates with Sam Cassell. Ah, and, and I remember the Milwaukee Bucks team. It was Glenn Big Dog Robinson, yep. Yep. Uh, Tim Thomas and Sam Cassell and there's only one basketball and all three of those guys were very talented and he made it work and, and getting to know Sam as teammates um, you know love the guy to death because of his passion for the game um, but you're right you, you, as a head coach you kind of have to figure out how to balance everybody's wants everybody's egos um, and it's a challenging job. And, and I would agree with you that, that George Carl, you can learn a lot from him because some of those Milwaukee teams uh, were combustible when you watched them, but he put them together in such a way that they had a lot of success. Correct, correct. And I think that to be a college coach, man, in, in the, the space that I'm in, I think we have to stay um, knowing what's relevant to these kids and what makes them tick. It makes no sense to say, man, I'm going to coach you how I was coached. I have to be stay adjusted with the times. And I think what you see the success of like Krzyzewski and Calipari, they've adjusted to the time. Even your coach, Coach Few. Or you played for Munson, right? No, I was, uh, I was Coach Few. His first okay, but Few, is, Few, obviously, he's key when he's winning as well. So, you know, it's like you got to adjust, man. We can't just force who we was or how we was brought up. We got to know these kids because they grew up different from how we was raised. So with that being said, the, the whole advent of social media, and you kind of touched on it when you said, uh, you know, some of these college players and even the high school players now 
uh, and you use the word ego, but not in a negative way, but they've got such a large right. problem. No, of course. How tricky is that to handle as a, uh, as a college coach who's recruiting? Because you, you can use social media to reach out to players, um, yeah. but there's a lot of regulations. How do you use social media to really kind of connect and recruit in these days? Well, I use social media to go and follow the players that um, I'm recruiting. You get to learn a lot about some of the things they post, some of the things they say on social media. So it can be a, a yay or a nay. I, I can see a kid, if he's acting up on social media, then we won't recruit him. But then another kid who, who's on there, you know, just being a normal kid, you get to learn a lot about him. But I also think social media is a detriment as well because it, it only shows you're good. Like, if you look at a kid's highlights, he's always scoring. He's always doing this. But it's okay to get scored on. It's okay to not have a good day in the gym because that's what's going to bring you back. And I just think they could just live in a moment where it's always positive. And then when they get to us and it's not right, then it's our fault. You know what I mean? We're the ones hating. Yeah. So um, I just think that's the reality what it is. We got to deal with it then. And um, I, feel, um, I feel bad for the kids because when the self-gratitude is not there when they get to college, if it starts to form that, that mental uh, illness, depression, you know, you start to doubt yourself, and that was all started with the, with the whole social media from the, from the beginning. So with your staff um, at USC, have you guys tracked somebody's social media and without name, saying names, basically decided, hey, we're not going to recruit this, this player, this young man, because of what they've posted on social media? Oh, no question, man. I think that's, that happens in every program across the country. You see red flags. I mean, if you see a kid on social media playing with guns or smoking weed or doing that, well, you know you can't bring them to an institution because a lot of the times you need maturity because you're not around these kids 24-7. And then even with our own players, um, the school monitors kind of some of the things they post. We kind of give them the guidelines of some of the things they should and should not do. But when you're young, you're still trying to find your way in the world, and you're going to make some mistakes. We just try to hope to limit those mistakes. Such a, such a different world uh, yeah. for recruiting from the times that we were coming oh, yeah. out of high school and hoping to be recruited. Because I remember right now I'm kind of cleaning up uh, my garage, going through my office, getting rid of a lot of stuff. And uh, I, I found a box of recruiting letters from when I was in high school and they were handwritten with Xerox copies, photocopies of newspaper articles where do you still handwrite letters to recruits or is it all digital and phone calls these days? Digital and phone calls. You know, sometimes you can, you, you, it's better to correspond with parents because parents will open it. These kids nowadays, they're not open it. Letters are not what they was. Nowadays, then um, letters is, is, is the new offer. Really? Yeah, letters is like the new offer in terms of like showing interest. Because if you think about it, sometimes you see these offers to ninth and 10th graders. Now, yeah. if they're not good by the time they're rising seniors, those schools are not going to honor those offers. So you have a lot of offers that are not uh, withstanding. A lot of them just to appease certain groups, certain communities. But, um, you know, I, I believe probably when you got recruited and I did, when you got that offer, you was close to taking it. You know what I mean? And I didn't get my first offer until the end of my uh, 11th grade summer. So like August, going into my senior year. So now we're offering eighth graders and ninth graders. And I just feel that it gives a false sense of I've made it and I've arrived. But also the reality is if you don't live up to that offer, that interest, that school will not take you on for a scholarship.
it's a different world for sure. And you're navigating it extremely well um, as a coach. Want to go all the way back to your high school days. Um, and I've had Harvey Katani uh, on my podcast, who's a legendary high school coach in the LA area. I've talked to a couple other guys who played in the LA area for my podcast. And I've always asked the guys in the LA area, who are the biggest legends in LA high school basketball? Maybe guys that everybody knows that have made it, but maybe a couple names of guys that unfortunately for, for whatever reason didn't make it uh, at that next level. Well, um, one name you always have to start with will be John Williams. He went to Crenshaw high school, uh, early eighties. He, he, he was one of the first like superstar type players when I was growing up, I was young, but when I, I would hear about his name. And then players that, that, well, obviously he went to LSU and he made it to the pros. He was a McDonald's All-American. But other players that are like legends from my era was, was, was guys named James Gray. He, ended, he went to Westchester High School. Uh, Sam Crawford and a guy named Harold Miner. I think uh, he didn't have the NBA career that people have wanted him to, but around here locally, his name rings tons of bells and, you know, it was just an honor that uh, obviously I went to his high school as a senior, but he was one of like a local legend that people, those names still ring bells today. Yeah, I've heard the John Williams name. Obviously, I know Harold Miner from playing at USC and then in the NBA. Um, for guys that have made it to that next level, um, who would it be in your eyes? Because a lot of times the name Paul Pierce gets thrown out, who I believe went to the same high school as you. Yep. Yep. Um, Baron Davis is brought up. It all kind of depends on the day for a lot of people or what your eye focuses on. But all-time best high school player, in your opinion, out of L.A.? I know that's putting you on the spot and no, you've got to balance relationships with recruiting. But it's No, nah, no. Nah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I mean, for my – see, it goes era. So, I, I mean, you know, Paul Pierce, my era, you know, he, he, he – McDonald's All-American High School, um, you know, killer college career. NBA uh, uh, champion, finals MVP, for sure, Hall of Famer. So that's not a knock to say that in, in my era, he was our best local. But prior to him coming, you had a guy named Byron Scott, who was a fourth pick and went to Arizona State and won three championships, made an all-star game. So, um, you know, it's no, it's no knock. I think Paul, in my era, he, he, he had the most solid career all the way around and dominated all three levels. Those are facts. Yeah, love it. I, I've heard from many people that it would say Paul Pierce is, in that era, the best player. Uh, appreciate a chance to get uh, connected, talk hoops. Um, hopefully the next time we're talking hoops, Jason, we're in is a gym. in a gym. Exactly right. We're in a gym. We're not texting. We're not on a Zoom call recording a podcast. But I can be asking you about, hey, what is USC trying to accomplish in this shoot around to get ready for tonight's game and then being able to call the game. So I appreciate you joining on the ISO today. I wish you and your family nothing but health. I wish you guys nothing but the best of, of luck in getting past this and getting college basketball season up and running for USC. And I look forward to seeing you again, hopefully in the near future. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it, man. Hope your family stay safe and uh, see you soon, brother. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals.
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.